Who's in charge in Sri Lanka? The president has fled instead of resigning. The acting leader has imposed a curfew, but protesters want him to step down as well. Is there a way out of the crisis to prevent a power vacuum? I'm Derin Abulgeda. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests, all in Colombo. Joining us from there is Kabir Hashim, who's a member of the parliament with the main opposition and a former minister. Jihan Pereira is the executive director of the National Peace Council of Sri Lanka. And Harshana Nanayakara is a lawyer and member of National People's Power. That's an opposition coalition. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for your time. Jihan Pereira, who's in control of the country? The, who's in control? It is the government is in control, but... Uh, uh, it is a tenuous control because the government has lost its legitimacy. It has a majority in parliament. It has the powers of the presidency. But the people have nullified it, nullified that mandate by, their, by the peaceful revolution that took place, where the president had to flee the country. So in a way, it's a very unsettled situation. It is not stable. Problems are not being solved. Problems are massive in the country. Their lines, fuel lines are extraordinarily long. Two or three kilometers, people are staying two or three days, three, four days, uh, waiting for petrol overnight in their vehicles. The prices have doubled. People's uh, standard of living has collapsed. And yet uh, our leaders are not taking action. They are not settling their problems among themselves and cohesively coming up with a economic plan for the revival of the country. Okay, so we'll I would get on say to these issues. Right. We're going to get onto these issues in a moment. But first, let me bring in Kabir Hashem to tell, um, to tell us who you think is in control of the country and whether there's a power vacuum going on right now. Um, well, I think in a sense, the people were in control for a while. Um, and now there is a lack of uh, sanity, actually, and it's about time that Sri Lanka got on its way. So uh, it's it's about not only the legitimacy of the government, it's about credibility of the government. People have lost faith, lost trust. And therefore, uh, right now, parliament, uh, the opposition, including all other political parties, met together yesterday, today, and we, uh, we have asked for time that was meeting with the Speaker of Parliament tomorrow, where the leaders of uh, almost all political parties will meet the speaker and ask him to call summon parliament where we would be able to uh, appoint a prime minister amongst us, a consensual uh, prime minister, and then to appoint a president. So we are trying to work towards that to have a unity government for a period to stabilize the country because there are lots of reforms that have to take place. Okay, just on the issue of the succession the plan, on the issue of the succession plan, Kabir Hashem, I mean, is this going to be an easy task? You say that there's a there's a meeting tomorrow. What are you expecting to come out of it? Yeah, yeah. It will be made much easier if Gotabia Rajapaksa has submitted his letter of resignation by now to the Speaker, which he has said, but we haven't seen the letter. So if the President has submitted his letter of resignation, then there is an automatic process where the parliament can choose a president. The same way the prime minister can be appointed if there is a majority in parliament who supports the prime minister. So right now we think that the opposition and the other parties 
working together can have that majority to get a prime minister that represents the majority in parliament and then amongst us to appoint a president and then have an, a government that will take us through the reform process and stabilize the economy to a point and then maybe go for an election at a particular time. So it is not difficult because the system is very much intact. The constitution has provisions on how to do it. The question is that we haven't seen the president's letter yet. And if that doesn't happen by tomorrow, then there's a certain element of uncertainty. Yeah, that's and exactly it. it. That's exactly it. Let me bring yes. in Harshana at this point, because um, as um, uh, Kabir was just saying, under the Constitution, it's the prime minister who steps up as acting president if the president resigns. But since we haven't seen the president's resignation, how uncertain is the path ahead? Well, it's like this. Right now, as Kabir pointed out, he has not resigned. We have not seen the letter. And also, Ranil claims that he's been appointed as the acting president. But no one has seen the warrant issued by the president to that effect. In fact, there has to be a seal and an emblem. There's a procedure for him to be acting as a president. And also, it cannot be for an indefinite period. The warrant should state for how long he's going to be the prime minister for. So with none of those formalities have been uh, followed, or at least we do not know of, the problem remains with even the prime minister acting as the president is valid. In that case, all the orders he issues in the acting capacity are unlawful and could even amount to treason. Okay? So therefore, right now there's a huge problem whether Ranil is even appointed as acting prime minister. So this is exactly the reason why there's turmoil on the streets and unrest, because people just do not know what's going on around. So I am of the view, in the absence of them showing it, the warrant of execution, which comes in official letter witnessed by the presidential secretary, that it is not available, this constitutional crisis and the uncertainty and the instability will continue. Okay, and Harshana, remember, we have a situation now, right, we have a situation now where the prime minister has been issuing orders. For example, he's ordered the army uh, to use force if necessary. That's one of the things that he's come out with. And seeing as the prime minister was also is considered the president's deputy in parliament, but with him being deeply unpopular, as we know, in Sri Lanka, where does this all leave things? Well, I mean, this is exactly what I'm trying to say, Darin, because people do not trust this government. They do not trust Ranil Vikramasinghe. Okay? The slogan is, go Tabe Rajapaksa, go home. Ranil Vikramasinghe, go home. And none of them have resigned. Now, he's claiming to be acting as the president. Claiming, because I have not seen that lawful authority he has on paper. But then he should be appointing a prime minister. So he can't be acting as prime minister and president both because he's supposed to appoint a prime minister from his cabinet, which he has not done. So there is a crisis, as uh, Kabir was uh, pointing out earlier, if Gotabe does not give this letter of resignation and follow the constitutional process, from tomorrow onwards, it will escalate. And even the trade unions and the country would go for island-wide general strikes. As you know, our life has already been crippled lack of fuel, lack of income, shortages of food. So it will only escalate simply because uh, the, the president has not given his resignation and neither has uh, been appointed. So it will continue to destabilize right. and get into really bad levels. Jahan, even if um, there's this meeting taking place tomorrow, as, we, as we've been hearing um, from, from Kabir, um, 
even if they come up with some sort of consensus agreement, the members of parliament, is that something that the public is going to accept? Because at the end of the day, doesn't it risk a lot of the same faces just staying in, in these positions for at least this period? Yeah, well, I mean, what, what the people have been asking for, uh, the civil society, the bar association, the religious clergy, is a all-party interim government because we have to be governed by someone. So an all-party interim government uh, selected by consensus, which would uh, steer the country out of its present predicament over the next six months, perhaps, deal with the IMF, deal, find a, a solution to some of the problem, pressing problems, the most pressing problems of shortages, and then go for elections. I think people would accept that. What the people don't want is this Rajapaksa-led government. Uh, even if the Rajapaksa are not there physically, they are still there in spirit. They don't want that to continue. That's what they have been revolting against in large numbers, unified. That's a unified sense among the people that this government must go. Right, but the, the, the issue for a lot of people, the, the way that I understand it, is that they are concerned by what's called political corruption in the country, uh, Jihan, that has been taking place for, uh, for many, many years. So to what extent has this political uh, corruption deepened the mistrust in governments as a whole? Yeah, I mean, what has happened is that people are blaming this government and this leadership and the Rajapaksa family in particular. But while... As you say, it is something that also comes from the past. It is not just this government and this leadership that has been corrupt, but previous governments and previous leaderships also have been corrupt and have to take part of the responsibility. But this government in particular was particularly blatant about it. They had a sense of entitlement. President, as soon as he came to power, when he won the election in 2019, arrogated to himself the powers of more powers from parliament and then proceeded to make some terrible decisions, such as immediately declared tax cuts for the rich, and then he went into banning chemical fertilizers and trying to make Sri Lanka organic farming country overnight. And basically, and, and also the, the corruption, the incredible corruption, so that people, people really believe, the people on the street believe that the, the government leaders actually carted dollars in cart in container container loads of dollars were sent out of the country and that is why we don't have foreign foreign exchange in our country right so the blame comes solidly on this government even though previous governments are also responsible for the predicament we are in kabir um is the priority now to get politics back on track or the economy I think both have to be done parallelly because they, to win, uh, you need to win political credibility and trust and economic credibility and trust. So we would have to listen to the sounds coming from the ground, from the protesters, and we have to do some constitutional amendments, more accountability, more transparency, more uh, action against corruption. To, we have to win that confidence. So the new consensus government will have to make those moves in the first few months so that we win the, the people have confidence. And then we need to do, for over 20 to 30 years, we haven't done economic reforms. That is why we came here. Apart from the corruption, we have to take a lot of, we have to make a lot of changes, fiscal speaking changes. Of changes speaking of changes, changes, let me ask you particularly about one political change, and that is the 20th Amendment, as you know, which was passed in 2020, that really reconcentrated power 
uh, in the presidency itself. As a member of the opposition now, is that something that the opposition is going to look to abolish? Of course. We have already given a draft uh, bill to Parliament, calling it the 21st Amendment, and that entails uh, the aspirations of what the country has been asking for in the last couple of months. Unfortunately, some of the government members have come up with an alternative, which is uh, the 22nd Amendment, which doesn't go that far. So we are trying to come to a compromise to go back at least to the 19th Amendment, which was there before, where the president's powers are stripped to a large extent. We want it to go further. People want the abolition of the presidency. We want to move to that. So we are going to go as far as we can for, for what the people are asking, for their aspirations. So that will be the first step. Political credibility then will be established in the country. But parallelly, we need to work with the IMF and get the reform process going uh, and restructure the debt. I think we can do that. Speaking of the IMF, Harshana, um, how difficult are negotiations going to be with the IMF going forward? Because Sri Lanka is now going into these negotiations as a bankrupt country. Well, things are going to be hard and difficult, but there's no doubt that we will need to seek third-party help. There's no doubt about it. But it all depends. Negotiations are going to be difficult. As you know, as a bankrupt nation, our bargaining powers are limited. Whether you go to IMF or any other place, they will look to impose conditions so that the country will be more accountable. Lack of accountability on the part of our governments has been the biggest curse. The corruption came as a result of that. So it's going to be tough road ahead. And we need unity in approach. Remember, as the two members said earlier, initial job is for an interim government for a limited period to get the most essential. That is the cooking gas, fuel, so the country can function and fertilizer for the farmers and to open the schools which are being closed indefinitely. Now, this is going to be the task for the interim government, the main task, but they will have to start negotiating and opening up channels and discussing and going for forensic audits to see what happened to investments, that openness is necessary. So therefore, the first three months or four months or six months, the limited period, we have to address these issues. But thereafter or parallelly, as Kabir would put it, we have to battle the rest of the negotiations. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. We are a bankrupt nation with so much of debt. Right, and but when the IMF goes into, done, goes into when the IMF gives bailouts, as you know, uh, Harshana, the, the bailouts come with, uh, with uh, austerity, which generally affects the poor and the people. You're right, you're right. That's how they've gone and wherever IMF has gone, there has been some, on occasion, change of governments. But here, what is important is the negotiation. When they ask for austerity measures, we are not supposed to cut down health and education but all the perks these corrupt politicians and members of parliament are having. So there are places we can shave off, there are places we can cut off without touching the poor masses. Because after the coronavirus closed down and after the economy coming to a halt, I mean, if you try to cut off things from the people, obviously there's going to be turmoil. Okay, let me bring in Jahan. Uh, Jahan, um, um, what are the... Uh, obviously, the immediate priorities is to get food, fuel and medicine uh, for, for the people. And um, how do you think it's all going to play out uh, with the IMF negotiations, Jahan, as well as uh, countries like India and China, who have stepped up in a way or provided loans to Sri Lanka up at this point? Yeah, in the, India, in particular, has been very generous to Sri Lanka. It has given about $3.5 billion over the last several months to us in, term, in credit lines. 
And it is the ending of that credit line that has created this enormous fuel crisis in our country. Um, the IMF uh, negotiations and the plan that and the actions that Sri Lanka will have to take off that will be very difficult ones to take. And that is why we need a government that people can trust, that people can trust and which can go to the people and explain to them because there'll be a lot of uh, major reforms needed. For instance, our public service is uh, 1 million strong with the armed forces is 1.4 million for a population of 22 million. Our defense budget is 15%. I mean, double that of health and education combined, I think. So that there's need for those type of reforms that can be done, but which will be difficult and will need a very courageous government, a, a bold government, which will have to think more of the country than of, their, of, than of themselves and their own futures and be trusted by the people. Yeah, that is the key thing, to gain uh, trust once again. Kabir, in your opinion, what are the most immediate uh, steps that need to be taken in order to uh, alleviate the pressure of uh, the, the suffering of the people? Yeah, people believe that uh, the shortage of oil and uh, gas, petroleum products are the key problem, but that's only a symptom of the, the main issue. The main issue is solvency, the lack of dollars. We don't have the money to import any of this. So what we need to do is to do the debt sustainability, debt restructuring process as fast as possible. By the end of this year, timelines, if you look at it, IMF, we should be able to get the uh, uh, executive board to approve the uh, external uh, fund facility, by, uh, which is about $3 billion before the end of this year, then go for the rapid financing instrument. And then for the interim, we need to find some uh, funding as bridging finance for Sri Lanka to manage till December. If we do that, and if we do, if we go into the restructuring successfully, confidence builds up, and then Sri Lanka starts easing out of the problem. So that that is the critical thing. But also talking about since you raised it there in about the poor, the austerity measures, IMF also will support us with cash transfers to the poorest of the poor because you can't. Uh, do without that. You need to help the poor because they are in very difficult position. Over 40%, I think, are falling into the poverty line now. So we would also be uh, have to do some cash transfer measures whilst we do the reforms uh, fast. So this means talking the truth. There is no easy way out. Government has to start telling people exactly that it's not going to finish in three months or six months. It'll take some time. But we are taking the right measures. That's critical. Talking the truth to the people is very important. Right. And I think Sri Lanka can do it. They have the resources. Okay, Harshana, final words to you. I mean, we're talking about how to gain trust of the people of Sri Lanka, but how does the country begin to uh, win back the international credibility and trust? I mean, international credibility as the lowest ebb now. Again, as Kavir was putting it, there are no shortcuts to green credibility, but openness, accountability, and dealing as a non-aligned nation without selling ourselves to just one country, whether China or otherwise. And we have to build up that confidence. And all this will start only after a fresh election with a new parliament. Right now, this parliament is not trusted, not believed. And I'm sure in another election, most of these members won't even be returned to the parliament by the public. We have to wait and see. So trust building first is Locally, the people must trust their government. And once they start trusting the government, people will work, 
economy will function. And of course, we have to guide it correctly. Without winning the credibility of the public here, international community is not going to consider any government here as a legitimate government. Okay, for the sake of and time, let me just jump in there. We have 30 seconds remaining. Jihan, last question to you, in fact, and that's on the issue of accountability. How do the people of Sri Lanka get accountability from their leaders? So far, accountability has been focused on, on the issue of what happened during the war, human rights, accountability, war crimes issues. But now we also have to deal with accountability issues relating to economic crimes, running down the economy, robbery, corruption. So I think people are now more prepared for that. And in terms of uh, ethnic uh, conflict, this, this crisis has actually brought all our people together. Right. On the streets are Sinhalese, Tamils and Muslims. And, and they say we will not be deceived again by leaders who try to divide us in order to get our vote. Okay, thank you so much. I have to leave it there on that note. Thanks for joining us, Kabir Hashim, Jihan Pereira and Harshana Nanayakara. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin Eng, Usama Alyuni, Abdurrahman Warsameh and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Surat Shankar. The program was edited by Hatem Shabal, Lyndon Guyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Friday. Hey guys, Sami Zaydan here, host of Essential Middle East podcast. Do you want to check out our upcoming show? We'll be talking about the impact of this war in Ukraine on wheat prices, particularly how it's impacting the situation in the Middle East. I'll be talking to Patrick Mardini, the president of the Lebanese Institute for Market Studies. So do listen in.